episode 50 with Bob Eubanks. Really, really enjoyed this particular interview. Bob, of course, was the uh, host of the Newlywed Game Show, but you probably don't realize that Bob was a fantastic music promoter. He brought the Beatles over from England. Uh, he did shows with them at the Hollywood Bowl and Dodger Stadium. Also shows with the Rolling Stones, among many, many other rock and roll acts. And then he moved on to country music, where he managed the career of Merle Haggard for 10 years. Also managed Dolly Parton, Barbara Mandrell, among many, many others. Fascinating story. He's a funny guy. Uh, my co-host Brian Edwards from Rockland's Entertainment joined me. He had some great questions for him. So I know you're going to really enjoy this particular podcast. Uh, also, my sponsors for this particular podcast, I have a brand new one, mygrandfathersfiddle.com. Just go to that website, mygrandfathersfiddle.com, uh, and check it out. My good friend Rob owns the website and looks after you. The idea is basically if you have an old instrument kicking around the house, maybe it belonged to your grandparents, an old fiddle, piano, guitar, ukulele, whatever you might have, uh, just snap a picture of it, and Rob will produce a fantastic memory for you, a great T-shirt, and you can see all of his designs and things he's done on the website, mygrandfathersfiddle.com. Also, morningbuzzcoffee.buzz. Great coffee, and I'm looking forward to some in the morning. And uh, they'll ship all over the place, so make sure you check out morningbuzzcoffee.com. And Music City Canada, great music store based out of London. They also ship all over the place. Uh, great service. They have everything you can ever imagine there. Uh, great guitar shop, drum shop, PAs, recording equipment, rentals, you name it, they do it. Uh, so check out Music City Canada. All right, sit back and relax. Enjoy Bob Eubanks. <laughs> All right, we are here uh, in session with Darren Walters with a fabulous guest, and uh, we're excited to have uh, Mr. Bob Eubanks on the show here today. And I've uh, been a big fan of Bob a very long time. Nice to have you here, Bob. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, really. Thank you. I'm also here with uh, my co-host, Brian Edwards, and uh, Brian's been looking forward to this podcast for a while. How are you doing, Brian? Great. Very, very good. And Bob, thanks for taking the time. And uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, it's uh, you've had one heck of a career and you've been a role model for a lot of us, especially the younger promoters getting into the business and uh, watching all the stuff you've done and accomplished. It's certainly uh, just indeed a pleasure to be here with Darren today and we're really looking forward to it. Well, thank you very much. You know, I was going to do a podcast one time. I was going to do one called Short Stories About Big People. Ah. But there's... <laughs> There's so many podcasts right now, you know, you got competition. <laughs> yeah, there certainly is. It's, oh, anyway. it's really taken off. There's, there's a lot of them, but uh, um, you got to weed yourself through the, the bad ones and try to yeah. make yourself a good one. So, so you're in, you're in California now, right? I'm in California. I'm a diet in the wool, California. And my, my parents were from the hills of Missouri. And uh, when the depression came along, they all moved up to Michigan to make cars. And I was born up there, and but then the war came along, and all the hillbillies moved to California to make airplanes. So I had my second birthday in California, and I've been here ever since. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Excellent, excellent. So you don't have a whole lot of memories of Michigan, do you? No, I sure don't. <laughs> Except I wouldn't want to drink the water in Flint. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's where you're born, in Flint, right? Yeah. Yeah. You turned out all right. The water must have been fine back then. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> it's really interesting uh, on your career, and I, I think everyone obviously knows you from the Newlywed game, and I know you just kind of had an anniversary on um, on that show just a, a week or so ago, uh, July 10th in 1966 that started. Uh, you know, obviously it was up here all over the world is really, you could see that show, and, and uh, but people really don't, I think a lot of people would be surprised the career you had in the music industry. It, it's pretty fascinating the amount of people you've worked with over the years. And, and, uh, I, I think we should dive into that a little bit. And, but first of all, you were, you were a radio, uh, disc jockey. Uh, is that where was your first kind of, um, job into the yeah. entertainment business? Yeah. My first job was at a 250 watt radio station in Oxnard, California. 
Yeah, 200 watts went into the ocean and 50 watts went to the cemetery next door. So (laughs) (laughs) I was literally out there talking to myself. So as fate would have it, my next job was at the big new rocker in Los Angeles, K-R-L-A. And uh, I was there with the big guys. I was there with Casey Kasem and Dick Biondi and uh, Reb Foster and Dave Hull and all, all the guys that really, really were good disc jockeys. And I wasn't that great of a disc jockey. Uh, so I figured I better do something to make myself valuable. So I opened a chain of uh, young adult nightclubs called Cinnamon Cinders. Wow. And uh, uh, 18 to 25, no booze. Uh, and I would buy talent every week. Stevie Wonder, Ike and Tina Turner, Chuck Berry, people like that. So when the Beatles did the Ed Sullivan show, uh, they announced they were going to tour America and they signed with an agency called GAC. Uh, and they went to all their regular promoters, if you will. And the guy they went to in LA, a guy by the name of Lou Robin, he was used to buying Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald for $10,000. So the Beatles wanted $25,000. And he turned them down. Oh. So I borrowed 25000 on my house and presented the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. And uh, that was the beginning of a, uh, you know, a long-time concert career for me. Did you feel like that was going to be a, a sure thing, or was that boring, that, that $25,000? Oh, yeah. yeah. But, however, not everybody thought so, because I went into a bank called Security Pacific, and the guy kicked me out. He said, get out of here, man. <laughs> so, fortunately, I went to a little storefront bank called Transworld Bank, and the lady's son was a Beatle fan, and she loaned me 25000 on my house. Wow. And uh, presented the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, and that was my first concert, and uh, made a lot of money in that one, made $4,000, and had uh, two partners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I got real smart the second and third year because the Beatles really made KRLA number one. So I went to the radio station. I said, hey, how about it? It's KRLA and Bob Eubanks present the Beatles. And the guy said, that's a good idea. I said, and I, and then I told him what I wanted for it. And I got to tell you guys, I made more money in the Beatles than the second and third year. So it was okay. <laughs> So what was that like, that very first concert there and, and meeting them the very first time? And uh, what was that experience like? Well, the first time they were wide-eyed. Yeah. And um, we had a press conference at our nightclub cinnamon center and someone asked Paul who he wanted to meet. And he said, Marilyn Monroe. Oh, yeah. And uh, no, take it back. He said, Jane Mansfield. My, my fault. My bad. Yeah. Jane Mansfield. And so Mansfield found out about that and she arranged for the Beatles to meet her at a club here in LA and they called it whiskey a go, go. Yeah. And, uh, but McCartney didn't go because he was out with some other girl that night. <laughs> and, uh, so <laughs> they met and but then the second year I could tell that they were tired and all they heard was screaming and, and, uh, it, you could just, feel it, but they were tired. Then the third year at Dodger Stadium, it was truly a band that didn't want to be together anymore. And my concert at Dodger Stadium was the second to the last time they ever appeared uh, for money. And uh, they went went from from my concert to uh, San Francisco. uh, And that stadium held 50,000 and they only sold 20,000 seats to that one. So it was coming to an end at that time. And, uh, but it was an interesting time. Yeah, I, I bet, you know, you think about, uh, concerts nowadays and the big lighting and the big sound systems and everything else. But back then, um, you were like, they didn't even have monitors. No, no, no monitors on the stage. I'll tell you a very interesting story. You know, when they did the Ed Sullivan show, February the 9th, 1964, uh, they had a sound check in the afternoon, and then everybody went to dinner. 
and the cleaning crew came in to clean the studio. And they cleaned everything, including the knobs where they had uh, oh, no. adjusted the, the volume. And so the Beatles sound oh. kind of crummy on the Sullivan show that night. <laughs> oh, boy. Funny. Now, listen, Bob, was with the, did they have, did Epstein come with them when they, they did, out, did oh, those yeah. tours with you? He was there? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brian was a, a, an unusual fellow. Uh, the first in '64, the Hollywood Bowl, we sold it out in three and a half hours, wow. and I wanted him to do a second show, and he was afraid they wouldn't sell it out. I said, "Come on!" So oh, I would have to, I'd have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to call him because I had to call him London time, and the lady would say, "Oh, Mr. Epstein is on the phone. He, uh, could you call back tomorrow?" And that <laughs> went on for days. So I finally sent a guy over there to England to see if we couldn't get a second show. And he came back and said, no way, man. So Brian was coming to LA and he was at the uh, Beverly Hills hotel. And uh, I set a meeting and I went over there and uh, I knocked on the door and this man answered the door and said, Mr. Upstein is in the bathroom. He'll be out in a moment. So pretty soon Brian comes out, but his fly's undone. <laughs> and I said, that's a hell of an entrance you make, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he was so embarrassed, man. I could have gotten anything from him except the second show. <laughs> Even think about then selling out that quickly, it, you know, it wasn't oh, exactly. logging into your computer on Ticketmaster and buying a ticket. It was all phone calls and yeah. T- taking your information. So that would have been a lot of people on deck to, well, to make that Well, I went to happen. the box office guy. I said, can we sell this out today? He says, are you kidding me? He said, you'll be lucky to sell it out in a week. Oh. About two hours <laughs> later, he came to me and he said, we're sold out. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. And those, in those days, it was all cash and all that stuff, too. There was no credit card sales. Yeah, right very few there. credit cards. Yeah. Wow. Boy, uh, oh, boy. It was, um, quite a time, to say the least. You know, interestingly enough, too, the Beatles, in their contract, said we will not appear uh, before a uh, segregated audience, and I thought that was really cool. Oh. Wow, oh, very good. I'll tell you a funny story. In '65, they wanted to meet Elvis, and uh, so they went over to Elvis's house. Brian Epstein and Colonel Parker made an agreement that would be like Larry the Cable Guy meeting. Uh, Albert Einstein, but anyway. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, they went over. They went over to Elvis's house, and uh, McCartney found something that he had never seen before. He found this this thing you hold in your hand, and it changes the channel on the TV. <laughs> and he had never seen that before, and, and the rest of the guys were just in awe of it. And Elvis finally said, "Hey." You guys aren't going to talk to me. I'm going to get up and go to bed. So <laughs> they whipped out the guitars and started playing and singing. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. That's fascinating. Boy. So mm. during those times where you were working with the Beatles and doing those shows there, were you uh, promoting other shows as well? You know, naturally the Beatles were my first concert, but when they were so successful over here, the entire English uh, thing started to take place and, here come the Rolling Stones, Herman and the Hermits, Dave Clark, Bob, Donovan, all of those. And I, I, I did their concerts also. I was, I was fortunate enough to be successful with the Beatles that uh, the agencies would trust me then to promote. I, the first time I bought the Stones, I paid them $4,500. Wow. And uh, the second time I bought them, I paid them 20000 That was in Long Beach, California. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I, I'm doing a Herman and the Hermits concert. And uh, I, I had to buy an opening act that I didn't want to buy because they were too expensive. So I walk into the uh, dressing room of uh, the opening act, and there's a bunch of underage girls in there. And I said, out, out. And the band got mad and took the girls out. Anyway, pretty soon I looked up, and here comes the drummer of the opening act pulling his drum case in and it's making grooves in the floor. So I walk up to it and I kick the top of it off and there's a girl curled up in, inside the, the, the drum. You know? And I said, wow. I said, you guys will never work for me again. 
He said, you winker, you're right. We'll never work for you again. It was Keith Moon of the Who. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. And they never worked for me again. <laughs> you know, you take a look at the money involved now in shows uh, compared to back oh. then. And that, what, a, what a change. And, I mean, obviously it changes oh, with man. the economy and everything. But, um well, the writers, the writers on the contract, and, and oh. you know, as your listeners will know, the writer is the addendum to the contract. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd see things on there like, uh, it shall snow on the day of the concert. <laughs> well, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, an act in, in Las Vegas in the middle of the summertime, and I sent a note back saying, I don't think it's going to snow. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they wanted me to provide cocaine. I wouldn't do it, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Bob, Bob, did you get the feeling in those days that the acts and the agents and the managers generally wanted the promoter to make money versus the way it is today? Uh, that's a very interesting question. I don't know if they wanted me to make money or not. They were more interested in making sure the act was pleased because that was their bread and butter. Mm. So, uh, but you know, you, you try to design you try to design the contract in a way that you, because you know your market, that you can make some money. But sometimes, you know, it's it's difficult. I did uh, I did three dates with Gordon Lightfoot, oh, and uh, at the at the third date, he said to me, he said, "How'd you do?" I said, "Oh, I lost ten grand." But he said, "I said it's my fault. I don't think I promoted it properly." He said, "I'm sorry." Two weeks later, I get a check in the mail for $10,000 from Gordon mm. Lightfoot. I almost mm. fell over, man. <laughs> well, that's the kind of era that I grew up with promoting as well. So I remember that, that, that I always felt the artist genuinely felt that it was important that we all made money. And, I, and, and when you start talking about these writers today and stuff, I don't necessarily get that feeling that, that we're of interest anymore. There's any loyalty or anything like that. So those, those days were really special. And, uh, and when I hear you talk about them, I, it, it really, it, it's good to see that those, those were the good days. They, they were very, yeah, they you were. Know, when, when you got trusted, they really trusted you. So, well, it was important to the agency that the promoter made money because there were other acts coming in and they wanted to make sure, you know, right. that, uh, you know, but I, I had some strange times, but in 1969, I decided to get out of the rock and roll business because the whole San Francisco drug culture was coming in, and I just didn't want to have to mess with all of that. So I, I got out, and uh, in 1972, then I came back into country music because that was my first love. Was it? Yeah. I went to Capitol Records. I said, "Who's your hot actor that I should?" get involved with and they said well we have an artist by the name of Merle Haggard that is doing really well and we think he's going to be a big star so I flew up to I, flew, I drove up to Bakersfield and, uh, to meet with Haggard and his manager Fuzzy Owen yeah. um, and uh, told him what I wanted to do so I signed an exclusive agreement with Hag and I was with him for 10 years uh, I produced all of his concerts for 10 years and he and I never had a crossword. He was a good one. I'll tell you. Oh man. And, you know, it's on my bucket list. I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm 82 years old now, but I would really like to do the movie because, you know, here's a guy raised in a box car, escaped from 13 institutions by the time he was 18. He spent two years and nine months in San Quentin. He lived in every hobo and jungle in the country. And uh, in 1971, became Entertainer of the Year, and I took him to the White House in 72. So it's a great story, yeah. really. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. And probably quite a change from going from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and uh, yeah. to, to Merle Haggard. I mean, <laughs> that's... Yeah, you know, they, they, I put food in the dressing room, and they, uh, they made me a hero. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, it was funny. Thanks, man. It was funny yeah. you say that. I remember doing a Hank Snow date many years ago. We put a tray of sandwiches in there, and he thought the same thing. He thought, What's that? Like, why? Who's paying for this type of thing? And thank you. And they go, They went crazy over that stuff. That's right. You know, my favorite, yeah. I, you know, I love George Jones, George and Tammy. I did some of their dates. My favorite, and maybe you've heard it, the story about Jones. 
is that, uh, and he was quite a drinker and they took his car and his driver's license away from him. And he got arrested on the turnpike going to town to get a drink on his lawnmower. (laughs) (laughs) You got to get there somehow. He was wonderful. You know, he gave me a Martin D 35 guitar. Jones did. Wow. And, uh, but he, but he wouldn't give me the case, so I had to buy a ticket for it. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. So when you were doing the Merle Haggard dates, did that kind of start the whole country scene off, and then that's you kind of led from there into the Porter Wagoner, Dolly Parton, so on and so forth after that? Oh, yeah. That- yeah, when I did the Haggard dates, then I, I went to Tandy Rice, who was uh, <laughs> uh, Porter Wagner's, uh, you probably remember the name, uh, agent. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, I said I would like to, I wanted to do Porter Wagner because Dolly was on the show. And I just mm. thought she'd be a big star. So I said to Tandy Rice, I said, I'd like to buy some dates. He says, now, Bob, Porter is very busy. He said, how many dates would you like? I said, a hundred. He said, I think we can make that happen. <laughs> They're strengthened. So on, the, on the very first date, Long Beach, California, I could only talk to Dolly when Porter was on stage. And when he was on stage, she came into the dressing room and said, I need to talk to you. I said, what's up? She says, I'm going to leave Porter and I would like for you to manage me. Wow. Oh, crap. I just committed for $350,000 worth of dates. But anyway, uh, she left Porter and I managed her career for two years. Um, was Don Weldon with her and then Bob? Was he was yeah. he involved in those yeah. days? Was he? Okay. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was the leader of the band. And uh, but when she left Porter, she had her own band then, but, but Don went with her. Uh, but yeah. she had the family traveling band. And uh, she came to me and she said, I can't take it anymore. I said, what's the matter, kiddo? She said, there's so much pressure here in Nashville that, about me having a West Coast manager. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, I understand. So we parted ways then. Yeah, Nashville's a pretty tight town. Yeah, it was then. You know, I managed Do- Dolly and Barbara Mandrell at the same time. And it was it was easy enough because uh, uh, Barbara couldn't write a note, but she played five instruments. Yeah. And Dolly could write all kinds of music, but she played a little bit of guitar, you know, so it, mm. it worked. It was all right. Kind of looking back at all your times with country music uh, artists uh, do you have a favorite out of all of them that you just this is my all-time favorite country artist oh sure Merle Merle Haggard you know I mean he was he was a, a, a difficult guy uh, he was a troubled gentleman he really was but uh, I got along with him well and, and Merle and I had an agreement that we could tell each other anything and it wouldn't go anywhere else and uh, I don't know if his his present wife heard about that or not because she doesn't like me and she didn't even invite me to the funeral. So, oh. uh, but that's all right. It's okay. Uh, I had a, a wonderful ten year run with the man, and he, he was difficult sometimes, but he was fair. Yeah. What What was traveling and touring like then? Where you? How did you travel and? Were you flying lots? We or? bought a bus. Bus, yeah. Yeah, we, we bought a bus. So uh, we traveled down the road with him in our bus. And uh, it, it worked. I'll tell you a funny story. You know, but when you when you stop at a truck stop or at a restaurant, the, the bus driver is always supposed to count heads when you leave to make sure everybody's on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> well, George and Tammy one time out in the middle of the desert and they stopped and the driver took off, but he left Tammy at the truck stop. And <laughs> I won't say she was mad, but she was furious when they got, they got the call to go back 60 miles to pick up Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> sure she was. <laughs> yeah, I guess you couldn't text anybody uh, back then. No, you couldn't. Nope. Try it. <laughs> What kind of venues were you doing with Merle in those days, Bob? Were you doing the big arena shows or were you doing everything from auditoriums to clubs to the whole gamut? Yeah, no, we didn't do the big arena shows. And uh, 
I remember we, we went across Canada one time and we sold it out. Mm-hmm. And Merle came to me and said, they don't like me, do they? I said, why? He says, well, they don't scream and yell. They're not, they don't, uh, I says, oh, they like me. We sold it out, you know. But when we got to the Maritimes, man, it was wild. Say the least. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they always say they can eat a lot of American acts, uh, still even to this day, are always shocked coming to Canada. They have to do a little adjustment because of the crowd doesn't necessarily always react the same as they do in other places. They're very poli- yeah. very polite. Well, you have you have a wonderful, wonderful country. It's uh, I always enjoy when I go up there. Excellent. Well, we need to have you back up here doing that backstage with the Beatles show that you're doing. I think that's that's fabulous. Well, you know, and we're selling it out everywhere we go. Uh, I found out I'm the only living person to have produced a Beatle concert all three years they toured America. Uh-huh. And so I put together this show called Backstage with the Beatles. I have a Beatle band on stage with me. And I tell stories that lead up to music. Uh, I'll oh. give you an example. When, when the Beatles broke up, McCartney was pretty upset. And uh, he had a dream one night. He had lost his mother to breast cancer when he was only 14. And that dream one night, and his mother was in the dream. And she said, Paul, it's going to be okay. It's going to be, just just let it be, bam, music, you see. Mm. Uh, so I tell stories like that. And it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun. Oh, I bet. Yeah, that would be a fantastic mm. show. I think people would absolutely love hearing those stories. That's the best thing about seeing those type of shows is hearing the history and, and the, the stories and uh, you know, that's, people find that fascinating. Well, the, the guy that, that uh, GAC went to in 64 who turned them down, uh, ended up buying them for San Diego in 65. And in the three years time, it was the only date Beatles didn't lost money. So, uh, <laughs> Just now, was, his deal. <laughs> now, now, so would, would that have been Lou Robin then, Bob? Yes, that was Lou okay. Robin. Yeah, I think it, I think his company was called Sight and Sound Productions or Concertus. I don't know, but uh, he was with he, he was with Cash near the end too. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he did a lot of work with him because uh, I certainly that name is very well, familiar. He ended up managing, yeah, he ended up managing Johnny Cash. Oh, he did. Okay, yeah. All right, well, that's. Going back a little bit, and then we should touch upon, uh, obviously, the newlywed game, because that's a big part of your life. Um, how did that all come about? How did you end up getting that gig? I, uh, back then, whenever uh, somebody needed an MC, they would go to the disc jockeys, and they auditioned every disc jockey in town. I was just lucky enough to win that audition. God only knows how. Later on, they went to weathermen. Say Jack and uh, Letterman were weathermen, yeah. and now it's actors. But back then, it was disc jockeys, and I was lucky enough to win that audition. I'd never done a game show in my whole life, for God's sake. But these two guys named Nicholson and Muir went out to lunch one day, and they wrote on a napkin, husbands predict wives, wives predict husbands. And uh, they gave it to ABC, who gave it to Chuck Barris. He had the dating game on the air. Yeah. So... Anyway, we had to show the format to the network boys who flew out from New York. And uh, we were in an auditorium, no cameras, just lights. Couple number one was an unknown comedian named Dom DeLuise and his wife, Carol. (laughs) But you got to remember, this is 66, and television was pretty quiet then. And there was a cute little blonde down at the end. And I said, what is your favorite nickname for your husband? She said, num nuts. <laughs> and the ABC, the ABC boys got up and went up and bought the show without a pilot based on num nuts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's one Did of my, open the door? It's one of my, <laughs> yeah. still one of my favorite phrases. I call several people num nuts all the time. <laughs> yeah. So that, on the first day we're going to do the show, I'm standing in the dressing room. And I said, God, you got to help me because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I'm still a disc jockey. And there's a knock on the door and there's two guys standing there in suits. I said, hi there. I think this is ABC saying good luck, Bob. 
And he said, Bob? I said, yeah. And he hands me this piece of paper. He says, you're hereby uh, noted to re- report to the Federal Communication Antitrust Committee on September 16, and you damn sure better be there. I was <laughs> served a subpoena on a payola wrap. Oh, God. Seconds before I went out to do my first newlywed game. <laughs> well, I hadn't done anything wrong. They eventually canceled the subpoena. But after the first show, Chuck Barris came to me and he said, Bobby, he said, we've got to talk. I said, what's the matter? He said, you've just done something I've never seen anybody do before. I said, what I do, man? He said, you went a half hour without blinking. Subpoena <laughs> 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 in my pocket, man, a federal offense. Oh, you know? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> now, what was, what was Chuck Barris like? We all remember him from the gong show. Now, what was he, what was he uh, like? Was he, was he, was he as off the wall as he was on that te- television oh, show? God, was he ever, man. I'll tell you what, he had a, he had a urinal on the wall in his office. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he favored the dating game, but uh, to his, he never, I had, I got two messages from him, I think, uh, with, with very constructive criticism. And he was very good to work for. I had no problem with him at all. Um, when they presented the gong show to ABC, uh, uh, ABC guy said, well, who do you want? And uh, so Chuck said, well, maybe Gary Owens. Said, That's a good idea. So as the ABC boys were leaving, Chuck turned, leaving, Chuck turned to his uh, associate and said, don't call Gary Owens. I want to host it. Oh, and so he ended up hosting the show. <laughs> wow. Wow. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But he was yeah. very fair. Uh, here again, he he really favored the dating game. I guess it was the first show that he had on the air. But um, it, it all worked. He was, um, he, was, he, he was good to work for. Yeah. So when you're doing the, the newlywed game, uh, I should know this question. What? You were t- were you taping it or were you going live? Oh no, we were taping it. Taping, yeah. So how many uh, how many shows know, would you tape a day? Would you tape a few? We'd do five in a day. Yeah, uh, we'd mm-hmm. go in there, be in there about four o'clock, play liars poker to five, and then do uh, five shows. Um, but none of the shows were kept before 1972, I think it is, uh, technology or whatever. But that's that's the closest. You're going to get a show of 72. Oh, is it? Yeah. Mm. Now, it's interesting. I know you posted the other day that you're the only person to host the same game show uh, in six consecutive decades. Um, no, five decades. Is it five? Five decades. Wow. Yeah. I, I ended up doing one after the year 2000, just so I could say I hosted it for five decades. Yeah. That's about wow. That's programming. Yeah. I I got quite a kick out of reading the book you're talking about going to those shopping centers with the with the show and how successful it was when the malls were just jammed with people. That must have been quite, oh, yeah. quite something. That was another part of the concert business, you know. Oh, well, I get to, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I I got to tell you, I was having lunch one time in Atlantic City with a what I found out later a known mafia guy. He said, I don't know how you get those stupid people to say the stupid things they say on that show. I said, well, let me tell you, man, if you and your wife were on the show, I could get you to say those things. He said, let me tell you something. Five grand juries haven't been able to make me talk. What the hell makes you think you can? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Are you still doing road work today, Bob? Are, are Are you doing much traveling? Well, I was until this pandemic came along. You know, I, yeah. we have a live game show called Hollywood's Greatest Game Shows. I play nine different games, and then at the end, someone has a chance to win a million dollars. Wow. And oh we want them to win it because we buy insurance on it, you know? And yeah. then I have the live Beatles show that I do also. Hey, I'll tell you what else I'm doing. Uh, uh, every afternoon, are you, what, what, are you guys on what time? Central time? Eastern. We're on Eastern. Eastern. Eastern time. Okay. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, if you would log on to the app, let's, L-E-T-S, dot, bingo. Uh, I play bingo every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at (laughs) 6 o'clock your time. 
and uh, tell stories, have more fun than you're supposed to have. And it's really taken off. We're doing very, very well with it. So that's very good for you. The other thing I've got is uh, a friend of mine noticed that I was having some mobility issues. And he invented a, uh, a balance board that changed my life, guys. I'm telling you, in, in a very short period of time. I was walking kind of bent over. I couldn't stand on one leg. I couldn't play golf. And uh, front of a gun. I'm back playing golf and walking up straight and everything. So it's called the 60 up balance board. And uh, we raised about a million and a half dollars in 30 minutes. And we've been doing really, really well with it throughout the countries. So that's that's what I'm doing now. Very good. That's a, that's a pretty active schedule. I would say. (laughs) Oh yeah. My oldest son is 60 and my youngest is six, 17. (laughs) boy. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. for you. <laughs> I have one son who's the number one stunt driver in the motion picture industry. Really? He wow. does Too Fast, Too Furious. He does Transformers, all of those. And uh, then I have another son who's retired LA County fireman. And he travels with me and does all of my audio visual. I have a daughter that lives down in Orange County, California. And then my young 17-year-old is just magical. He's such a good guy. Oh, that's excellent. Very good. Good for you. I'm blessed, guys. I'm really blessed. I have a beautiful oh, wife. And uh, she is the one of the top wedding planners in all of Southern California. Wow. Uh, she has a company called Bella Vita Events. And uh, she's a perfectionist. I mean, I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I come back to bed's made, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> very, very good. That's fantastic. <laughs> you, you seem like the person who just gets up in the morning and your your brain's just churning and you're just kind of going all day. Is that kind of explain what you like? Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, uh, I, I still enjoy coming up with ideas. I still enjoy doing the work that I do because it's not really work. Yeah. And, uh, I enjoy my children. I'm, like I said, I'm married to an incredible woman who's just amazing. Uh, Isn't this amazing? What's going on guys? It's absolutely frightening. Yeah. to, to, To be able to walk into a bank with a mask on and take money and not get arrested is amazing. I think. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I think it's it was really scary when it first came, and then, then everyone felt, oh, it's going to get better, and now it's it feels like it's even scarier now, or it feels like you th- I know. you thought yeah. it was going to go away, and now it feels like it's coming back worse than ever, and um, you know, all yeah. of us in the entertainment industry, especially, it's it's super difficult. And oh. um, can I tell you, thank God for retirement. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh. It's really, really ugly. It really is. Yeah, and it's, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I, we're all guessing to see when shows are going to start again, and and uh, and all those things, but nobody knows, and I I don't think it's going to be at least till next year at some point. Um, yeah, I agree. If not the following year, I agree. Um, I'm playing bingo. That's right good, boy. That's, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, six o'clock your time. Bro. And you know what's cool about. You can talk to me while I'm playing bingo. You can text me. Oh, neat. Because you do it on your phone. <laughs> so let, let's That's... say you guys are watching bingo and you text and you say, hey, we're here, Bob. And then I would shout out, hey, I just did their podcast the other day. And that kind of thing. <laughs> we'll have to get a bingo card, Darren. Yeah. Start right away. <laughs> no, you, you just have, no, the only thing you have to do is go to let's, dot bingo, and you get your bingo card. And we give away $100 every time we play. That's going to get bigger, though, because we're, it, we're really starting to gather viewers everywhere. And someday, I'm going to be playing Let's Bingo for $1,000. You know, so oh, that's fun. great. And it, it, it's free. It's free. It's not gambling. Anybody can play. Yeah. Oh, good. Very, very good. Hey, Bob, let's talk about the uh, the Lennon sister days for a while. I'm, I'm quite intrigued about that. When you were involved with them when they were such young performers and uh, and yeah. they were on the wealth the Welk show when you got involved and then they kind of went from there. So I'm just, I'm very, very curious about that. Well, I, I ended up managing the, the Lennon sisters because I thought they could be big stars. They were making $187 and 50 cents a week. Uh, Welk had a $9,000 a week payroll for 42 people. 
and so I signed them and uh, <laughs> I went to Welk and I said, we want, we want $500. Welk said, nobody on my show makes $500. Okay, so I went to ABC and I said, we're going to quit. And they said, no, no, no. So they ended up paying the linens and Welk found out about it and uh, he, nobody on my show makes that kind of money. And so he let them go. But uh, Welk was a funny guy. I'll tell you a great Lawrence Welk story. I hope I can tell this story. You know, he had quite an accent. And one Valentine's Day, the Lennon sisters came out dressed with hearts. And Welk says, and now the lovely Lennon sister with the heart on. (laughs) 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 You got that accent down pretty good, Bob. (laughs) Yeah. He says, they're going to be a... the network boys are coming over today. Everybody pee on your toes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I love it. (laughs) He was a character. So now do you, you were not, you were an actual cowboy yourself for a while with doing some riding and roping and all that kind of stuff. Boy, that's, that must've been quite the time. I I was, I was born a cowboy, you know, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry were my big heroes and, and later on, I got involved in the rodeo business, and I was a team roper. If my kids have to live off what I won, they'd have starved to death. But, uh, but then I ended up doing the television commentary for the rodeo uh, for the national finals. And um, But I, I sold my ranch about 10 years ago. Uh, I miss it, but I'll never rope again because I got a young son to raise, and I'm 82 years old for fun on that, you know. So... But rodeo was part of my life. I'll tell you a funny story. One time, uh, Bob Barker and I, we used to uh, share dressing rooms over at CBS when I was doing card charts. Yeah. And one day I'm out at the ranch. And well, first of all, inside the dressing room was a big, ornate, carved, wood, beautifully carved sign to WGNC on it. So being the rascal I am, I took it off the wall and put it under the couch. So I'm out at the ranch roping, and I get an emergency phone call from Jonathan Goodson. Where's Barker's sign? I said, what sign? He says, don't mess with me, man. He won't go on until we find it. I said, oh, for God's sakes, it's, it, it, it's under the couch. Jesus. I said, what is that? What does WGMC mean? He says, world's greatest MC. <laughs> I guess you'd want that back for sure. Now I, I heard the other day that uh, they've canceled the Rose Bowl parade uh, for this. Yeah. I heard that too. Yeah. How many years did you work with on that? I did it 38 years. Wow. 38 years. Wow. Wow. And uh, we quit when we were ahead. Our ratings were twice that of all the other stations combined. And uh, because I didn't want, you know, Vince Scully of the Dodgers, he said, I quit because I don't want somebody walking into the booth and saying, you're too old to do this. So, you know, we quit, but I I quit too early. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know they were going to hire Lisa Gibbons. And uh, so I, uh, and I did the Christmas parade with Lisa Gibbons for a while too, but uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was easy money. And, uh, 38 years is a long time, man. <laughs> oh boy. God. We used to get that. We used to get that feed up here in Canada. Cause I remember watching it for many, many years in a row. So whatever affiliate you were with, we, that was the, that was the, um, that was the feed we got here. It was great. Yeah. Really, really yeah. good. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to forgive my memory. I'm trying to remember the station group out of Chicago that owned channel five here in Los Angeles, golden West broadcasting. Okay. Um, that's who it was. And so, yeah, uh, Stephanie Edwards and I did it for that many years. It was wonderful. I'll tell you, Roy Rogers was a grand marshal one year, and uh, he decided not to ride trigger. He decided he was going to, he and Dale rode on the back of a, uh, of a convertible, waving to the audience. Problem was, Roy had a little too much coffee to drink that morning. And... Uh, <laughs> He had to pee and you know, hundreds of thousands of people along the route, you can't stop. So he peed in his boot. (laughs) (laughs) 
do you miss the the daily hosting of television shows and all that sort of stuff? Did that was that really in your blood a lot? Was it hard to get out of your blood, so to speak? Or uh, not really? I, no, not no? really. I, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It was fun, but uh, it it was time. It was time to move on to something else. Right. And uh, no, I I don't regret anything in my career except one thing. Uh, after Dolly Parton uh, said, I can't take the pressure anymore, about a year later, she came back to me and she said, will you manage me? And I went home and talked to my wife at the time and uh, we agreed it probably wasn't the best thing. So I, I said no. Wow. Dolly sold out the Hollywood Bowl this year. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> now, were there any acts that you never had a chance to work with that you, you thought you always wanted to and you never had a chance? Not really, no. Uh, I, and I mean that sincerely. Yeah. Uh, I got into country music at the right time. I remember one time I'm in my office and I see a cab go by and it says, Tony Cole, MGM Records. And I said, who in the hell is Tony Cole? So I got on the phone and I called my friend Russ Riggin, who was over at MGM Records. And uh, I said, who's Tony Cole? He said, he's an English guy. He's going to be a big star. I said, does he have management over here? He says, no, they're looking for management. But if you take Tony Cole, you got to take the girl too. I said, what girl? The girl that they have over there. I said, I got Barbara Mandrell and Dolly Parton now. I said, I'll pass on that one. The girl was Olivia Newton-John. Oh, Tony Cole. <laughs> now, are you in touch with anybody like Dolly or anything nowadays? Do you? Do you no, know? I'm not. No, no. Uh, I, you know, some friends of mine in the industry, Jamie Barr, who used to be on Mash, he was Clinger. Yeah, uh, mm. he's a good. He's a good friend. And uh, oh, let's see who else. Uh, now, really, I, I just I'm out here and away from the whole industry and, and I just don't keep up with anybody. Frankie Avalon, I see once in a while. Yeah. Um, that's it. You know. You'd mentioned Herman's Hermits. Do you, do, you, do you see Peter Noon around at all or anything? Or I see that he's playing some clubs around here, but I, I don't see him. I don't think he'd remember me anyway. So, you know. Yeah, he's still going at it pretty strong. We've seen, he's up in the casino circuit yeah. up here quite a bit, so. The two biggest pains in the patoot that I ever had to work with are Barry Manilow and Elton John. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, uh, I remember I had Elton John in Las Vegas, and I had sold out 8,000 kids. And this little guy comes up to me, and he says, we have a problem. I said, what's your problem? He says, Elton hates cops, and he won't go on the stage if he can see one in a uniform. I said, oh, God. So I go to the Las Vegas police guys. I said, do me a favor. Just disappeared. I get this jerk on the stage. And they did. They were nice. But when he came off, I had five of them waiting at the bottom of the steps in uniform for him. But, uh, <laughs> and Barry Manilow made me remove 314 kids behind the stage at Anaheim Convention Center so nobody could see him make a 10-second walk. Oh. Um, that would drive me right day, around the bend. Yeah, to this day, the guys of the stage crew have to turn their backs when Manilow walks out on the stage. Wow. God. So who, who knows why life's too short to deal with people like that. You know, I just don't Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. The ones that want to work and want to be fair and nice, let's deal with them. Those that don't, to heck with them. Yep, I'm with you And there. the country guys were so nice. Yeah. You know, Charlie yes. Pride and Haggard and uh, Johnny Cash and, and all of those, they were just nice people. And Darren, and I, Darren and I still do a lot of work with Charlie. He's 88 years old and he's still filling big arenas in Canada, three and 4,000 people a night up here. He's doing great. So, Oh, when you, when you see him, tell him I said hi, will you? I, I sure will. Yeah. He's a, he's a gem. He's a we class just guy. Him. Yeah. Tell him the Capricorn. Sir. Tell him the Capricorn. Bob Eubank said hi. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I was, Darren and I have been sitting down there with him, and he looks at everybody and starts to guess their 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 zodiac sign all the time. It's it's it's, it's crazy. He still does that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know he does it. He 
you know, and I, I was in Branson, Missouri during the show, and he was in Branson also. But, oh, yeah, the, there, there's the Capricorn. <laughs> but he, he's a good guy. Oh, uh, yeah. He still is solid as a rock. So it, it was funny. I think no one in the country world audience knew he was African-American until he had a hit. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's, you know, it was, it was amazing. I think he, he, he's just an amazing guy, too. Well, you must have done some shows with him at some point because his piano player that's been with him for about 40 years claims that, that you had done some stuff with him many years ago. So he uh, I did. certainly haven't, I did. haven't forgot that. So that's good. Yeah, I did. And, and here again, uh, the country guys were just wonderful. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. Uh, good. And Jones showed up at every concert I ever did. I know they call him No Show Jones, but he uh, he showed up at every concert. Wow, well, that's great! And I loved his singing too. Really, yeah, there's yeah. nothing like him. Now, a couple questions I usually like to ask uh, uh, some of my guests, and this, the question is basically: Do you have a, a venue or a place out there that you've always wanted to do a show at? that you never had a chance to, and you probably have worked every venue known to man, but is there, is there a place out there that you've never, never had a chance to do a show at that you always no, wanted to? No. There, no, there really isn't. I'm happy to say. That's um, amazing. I always felt with acts that were big enough that I could get the venues that we wanted. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I played, I played the Hollywood bowl with Haggard huh. and, uh, I had Marty Robbins as the opening act. Oh boy. And Marty, Marty was an unusual fellow. Haggard came to me and he said, would you ask Marty if you'll sing a song with me? And, and uh, I went to Marty and I said, uh, Haggard would like for you to sing uh, a duet with him. He said, no, I don't want to do that. Well, okay. So I went, I had to go and tell Haggard. He didn't want to do it. Marty was, wow. a, uh, he was a great performer, but an unusual guy, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I was a big fan. I, I, I had a chance to see him in, in concert uh, once. and uh, Yeah. Never well, let me tell you, when I started radio in 1958, when I started radio, I'm out in the middle of an orange grove talking to myself. And every record at that time was like two minutes and 30 seconds long. Yeah. And the technology at that time was that, you know, and if you had to go to the bathroom, you couldn't do it in two minutes <laughs> and 30 seconds. But Marty Robbins released El Paso. Four minutes and 19 seconds long. <laughs> More disc jockeys went to the bathroom to El Paso than any record in history, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, going back, I know I, I just mentioned that you, you mentioned that you, there wasn't a venue that you haven't performed that you really wanted to, but is there one out of the bunch that is your favorite, that this is my favorite all-time venue of all time? Oh, I think Hollywood Bowl. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, because I did Beatles there, I did uh, Bob Dylan there, I did Haggard, and uh, it was just uh, close by in a great place, you know. So I have to say the bowl. Yeah. How was how was Bob Bob Dylan in those days? Was he? I read a lot of stuff in uh, Gordon Lightfoot's book about him when he came up to spend a lot of time with him up here. Was he always just kind of a little bit different, or was he? Was that is that something in recent years? Well, he was different. Uh, and I, I did Dylan in 65, right after the Beatles left, at the Bowl. And we sold 8,000 seats right away. Uh, he had a hit record called Like a Rolling Stone at that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, he walked out. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen hippies, by the way. I'd never seen those strange people. So he walked out <laughs> on stage with his guitar, and he, he sang, and the audience started yelling, Sing Like a Rolling Stone, Sing Like a Rolling Stone. He said, oh, man, I didn't bring a G harmonica. About 10 of them hit the stage. Bam, bam, bam. bam. <laughs> so wow. now we go to intermission, and he comes out with electric guitar, and half the audience walked out. Wow. wow. Hippies, hippies. Yeah, yeah. not into that stuff. Uh-uh. But Dylan was okay. He came in in a little little compact car with a girl, and uh, he was fine. Uh, well, a guy walked up to me before the uh, uh, Dylan concert. He says, I need to, I need to see Bob Dylan. I says, why do you need to see? He says, I stole, I, I stole this jacket from him in Seattle last night. And I want to give it back to him. 
<laughs> so I go to the manager and I said, there's a guy here who claims he stole Dylan's jacket. Like, oh, he said, he's got the jacket. I said, yep. He said, oh yeah, they, they brought the guy back. They made him a hero. Good. God, <laughs> they gave him food and drinks and the whole nine yards, you know. Oh, wow. Crime does pay sometimes, you know. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> What was the most? What was the act that you spent the most money on? On a maybe like on a single show? Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. About Dodger Stadium, I paid one hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars in '66. Wow. wow that. that uh, and the Beatlemania was starting to, to die a little bit. We uh, we couldn't sell the center field bleachers at Dodger Stadium, so we put speakers out there and gave those seats to the blind children. Oh. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it, that's the most I ever paid any act. Now were you, were you, were you able to make money? Oh yeah. Remember oh, good. ARLA and Bob Eubanks present. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you can't go wrong. <laughs> Wasn't splitting that one. Yeah, for but we made money on We made money on the concert anyway. You know, uh, the owner of the Dodgers bought the entire mezzanine level for us season ticket holders and, we made money, but at the third year, uh, Lennon had just made the comment, we're more popular than Jesus Christ. And there were uh, demonstrations all over the country, wow. uh, burning of records in the whole nine yards. And so it was a little dicey. And uh, do we have time for me to tell a story? Oh, yeah, lots of time. Uh, well, I told the Beatles, I said, look, we put the stage at second base, and behind second base are the tents. I put a Lincoln Continental in the tent. We brought him in in an armored car, but someone had let the air out of the armored car tires. So I told the guys, I said, we're going to get into the limousine. We're going to go right out the center field features, and we're going to go down to the 76 gas station where the armored car is. So they did their normal 30 minutes ending the concert with Long Tall Sally. Got in the car, went out the center field features, and there was 5,000 kids waiting for him. And I kept saying, the Beatles have left, the Beatles have left. So everybody started to laugh at me. And I turned around, and here comes the Lincoln back in, only it's limping. You know, they sprung it. So we got him out, and we put him in the Dodger dugout. And Lennon says to me, we got to get out of here. We're going to a party. I said, dude, there's 40,000 kids out there. What do you mean you're going to a party you want to get out? He said, well, I want to get out of here. He and I got really got into it. I said, okay, I'll get you out of here, damn it. So I take him upstairs and I put him in the back of an ambulance and I covered them up and I told the ambulance driver to drive right down through the 40,000 kids. And he did. He drove right down through and he got free from them and he hit the accelerator and he hit a speed bump and the radiator fell out of the ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here comes the armored car and the kids oh. see what's going on. And I get the Beatles out of the ambulance into the armored car. And there was a mound of kids on that armored car. I mean, it was a, a stack of girls. That's all I could tell you. I remember seeing this guard grab this little girl by the hair and pull. And she was wearing a wig. It scared him to death. He thought he had sculpted her. But anyway, <laughs> the kids were all over the armored car. And all of a sudden, and I swear to God, guys, I don't know how it happened. The Hell's Angels motorcycle group showed up. They came up and they circled the armored car. The girls saw them and backed off. And the Hell's Angels led the Beatles off the, off the premises. And that's the last time I saw the Hell's Angels or the Beatles. <laughs> God. Wow. That's quite the story. <laughs> I guess so. It sure is, isn't it? Wow. Now, Bob, you, you, said, you said they did 30 minutes. Was that all? Is that the whole length of their show they would do wow. all three all three years they did 30 minutes and the last they ended with long tall sally and uh, that was wow. little richard's big hit and i found out later why that was the first record that uh, paul mccartney ever recorded and uh, but they wouldn't do past that uh, wow god only god that was it <laughs> wow. strange well, you pulled you tried that 30 minute stuff today they'd probably shoot you they would they would oh go right out of their mind Gosh. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you know, some of them, it only let me charge $7 for tickets. <laughs> Trying to hyperventilate here. That. Four, five, six, and seven. All three. Oh, oh God. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. God is right. 
Yeah, today they're starting with four or five hundred, six, seven, eight hundred dollars oh. a ticket. If you if you want to meet them, it's twelve, fifteen hundred more. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, I wanted insane. to when they did Dodger Stadium uh, when P- McCartney did Dodger Stadium a couple of years ago. I wanted to introduce him and tell the story about how we put these speakers in the center field bleachers for the blind kids, but they wouldn't let me introduce him. So it was okay. Oh, yeah, that was their loss. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Nick, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> well, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure chatting with you, and and I know the stories go on and on. And um, if people want to follow you, I know you're uh, got a quite an active Facebook page. Um, lots of I things. do. Yeah. Do you look after some of that yourself? I'm computer. Or? I'm computer illiterate. I have no idea what a Facebook page looks like. Yeah. You know, so. Well, whoever looks after well, it, they do a great job. <laughs> it's, they sure do. Yeah, lots of great stuff on there and um, lots of great history. So anyone who's listening, uh, make sure you go on to uh, uh, the Bob Eubanks Facebook page and, and uh, lots of great history there and um, great pictures. I'm a tough interview, aren't I? Oh, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> it's the best. Let me leave you, leave you with a story of mine. A friend of mine, He's 95 years old and his friends got him a hot date. And she says, I'm here to give you super romance. He, he said, I'll take the soup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love oh it. that's fantastic. Uh, listen, Bob, Bob, I've had the time of my life and, and Darren and I have done a lot of these together. And I'll tell you, this will definitely be the greatest and best one ever. You've just totally made my day and I really enjoyed every minute well, of this podcast. It was great. Very, very good. Thank you. Remember to say your prayers and wear a mask because Jesus and germs are everywhere. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well, make sure you stay uh, stay healthy uh, there, and I wish everyone in, in California well. I know it's uh, you're getting hit hard now again with COVID and I hope this all clears up soon and we can all start doing shows oh, again yeah. and, and uh, get things well, back. Thank you guys home. and God bless you. And if you ever need me, let me know. You bet. All the best. Thank Thanks, you very Bob. much. Take care. Right. Okay. Bye now. Bye bye. Bye now. Bye bye.